You're listening to At Any Rate, J.P. Morgan's global research podcast, where we take a look at the story behind some of the biggest trends and themes in fixed income currency and commodity markets today. I'm your host, Phoebe White, U.S. rate strategist and head of U.S. inflation strategy. And today I'm joined by fellow U.S. rate strategist Afonso Borges and Mike Faroli, our chief U.S. economist, to talk about the curious case of the 2023 fiscal expansion, which is based on a research note we published last Wednesday and is available to institutional clients on J.P. Morgan markets. So, Mike, let's just set the stage a bit here. Um, based on both CBO's numbers and J.P. Morgan's own forecast, it looks like the fiscal deficit is set to be little changed from last year to this year and is projected to be also little changed going into next year. Uh, are you still feeling comfortable with these forecasts? Uh, hi, Phoebe. Yeah, so um, I guess uh, just to, to put some of what we're talking about into numbers here, uh, last year we had a deficit of $950 billion or 5.5% of GDP. Uh, we have had and continue to have a deficit for this year uh, projected around 1.48 trillion, which uh, is bigger than the 950 billion. But in uh, percent of GDP terms, is not a huge swing. It's five, five going from five and a half to five nine, and next year uh, we're looking at a 5.8 percent GDP deficit. Now, I do think the interesting thing here, and one of the things that me, me and Afonso talk about, is that those numbers mask. I think a lot of interesting developments under the surface, uh, and most notably, what's going on with student debt, debt forgiveness, and the cancellation of debt forgiveness. Uh, so unlike many other um, aspects of the budget, which are in basically in cash accounting terms, uh, for any sort of federal loan, the Federal Credit Reform Act of 1990 requires CBO and Treasury to effectively score the subsidy over the life of the loan in the current fiscal year. Uh, so what that does is essentially take the present value of debt forgiveness that occurred last year or was set to occur, was announced last year, and stick that into the uh, fiscal 22 deficit. And then when that was reversed by the Supreme Court recently, CBO announced that they would take that out of this year's deficit. So while student debt didn't at a, really at all affect either uh, current receipts or expenditures. It did just because of this accounting uh, convention lead to a big, uh, a big impact on the reported deficit. Now, when we take this out, what you see is that the deficit last year was something closer to 3.8% of GDP, whereas this year it looks like it's going to expand to around 7% of GDP. So. Uh, an expansion of over three percentage points of GDP, which in historical terms uh, is actually uh, pretty rare outside of major recessions to see that kind of expansion of the deficit. Okay, so Afonso, stripping out the effects of, of student debt cancellation, can you help us um, just understand what drove the weakening in the fiscal backdrop this year? How much of this is due to recent legislative action? We think of things like Inflation Reduction Act, the Infrastructure Bill. Um, how are you thinking about this? Sure, Phoebe. So I think it's certainly tempting to attribute wider deficits to the Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act, and even the Infrastructure Bill. However, when we look at the sources of widening of the deficit over the past year, very, very little is actually accounted for by spending from these pieces of legislation. Instead, and perhaps starting with receipts, there are really two main drivers of the year's date widening relative to the period of last year. The first is individual income taxes, which are done by $320 billion. We think this is mainly, mainly the result of last year's weak performance of financial assets, but has also been supported by the extension of the tax deadline in parts of California to October. Overall, we do not think individual income taxes are a sustained source of weakness going forward. After all, the year-to-date rally 
cross-risk assets support stronger, not weaker, individual income taxes in fiscal year 24. Meanwhile, the inflow of California delay tax payments in October should support a smaller deficit for the first month of fiscal year 24. The second sort of weakness on the receipt side of the equation is remittances from the Federal Reserve, which are down by approximately $90 billion relative to the first nine months of fiscal year 22, and are likely to stay at zero for several years into the future. Now, turning to outlays, we identified three main drivers of the year-to-date increase in spending. First, the weakness has been driven by a $225 billion increase across spending for Social Security benefits, as well as Medicare and Medicaid. To be sure, this is not entirely surprising given the cost of living adjustment expectations we outlined last year. However, we think further increases across these components should slow down going forward, partially on the back of more moderate inflation adjustments. Second, net outlays for interest on the public debt are up by $135 billion on the back of higher interest rates. We also see this component increasing more slowly from here. For reference, CBO expects the average interest rate on all federal debt held by the public to rise 60 basis points from last year's levels to 2.7% in 2023, but only by an additional 20 basis points to 2.9% in 2024. However, CBO's forecasts assume 10-year Treasury yields stay at 3.8% over the next decade, while we think risks are skewed towards lower intermediate yields over the medium term. Indeed, we think intermediate yields have room to decline after Fed goes on hold and starts cutting the federal funds rate by the second quarter of next year, and therefore see 10-year yields declining to 3.3% by the end of the second quarter. Therefore, if our forecasts come to fruition, there's less room for the average interest rates on the federal debt to rise in years ahead than what CBO has penciled in at this point. And lastly, we've seen a $50 billion increase in net outlays of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. However, this should revert as liquidation of bank assets, as well as the collection of higher premiums from insured institutions, should allow the FDIC to recover most of the recent outlays. Overall, and putting these pieces together, it appears that the main sources of weakness should either reverse or at least moderate as we go into fiscal year 24. Against this backdrop, our $1.58 trillion forecast for next year's fiscal deficit at roughly 6% of GDP remains broadly appropriate. So while this certainly represents an improvement from fiscal year 2023, ex-student loan deficit of $1.8 trillion, it also suggests that deficits remain significantly wider than throughout most of the prior expansion. Okay, so we strip out student debt cancellation and we are seeing fiscal expansion, um, of course, coming from these sort of unusual factors. Mike, how much do you think the spending has contributed to aggregate demand this year? How do you see this playing out going forward? Yeah, so thanks, Phoebe. So it's, it's, I think it's difficult to put a number on this the way you would a traditional fiscal stimulus package where you have some, you know, exogenous increase, uh, not exogenous, but some, you know, legislative increase, let's say, in government spending or some legislated cut in taxes. Uh, as Afonso mentioned, that doesn't really seem to be driving uh, this, uh, this expansion. What is driving it is things like capital gains taxes, interest payments, security checks, which all are automatically responding to you know, changing economic conditions. So you might want to call them uh, automatic stabilizers, except that would be kind of odd because uh, you know, the economy has been performing well over this period. Nonetheless, it is a pretty large injection of cash into the economy, if you want to put it that way. So we do think, while it's tough to put a number on it, it has been supportive of the economy over the past year and probably is one reason why the economy has, um, 
you know, been resilient in the face of 525 basis points of rate hikes is that fiscal policy or fiscal outcomes, we should say, are moving in the opposite direction of monetary policy and provide, providing support to the economy. Uh, now, that said, as Afonso mentioned, a lot of these things um, aren't going to be uh, quite as supportive going forward. And so that does give us some reason to think that, you know, the tightening in policy uh, on the monetary side will uh, start to flow through to the, uh, to the real economy going forward. Thanks, Mike. So before we close, I just want to turn back to Treasury markets for a minute. Um, to remind our listeners, we did record a, a full episode discussing our expectations for tomorrow's quarterly refunding announcement last week. Um, but yesterday afternoon, the refunding process kicked off with the release of financing estimates. Afonso, uh, did we learn anything yesterday that changes our expectations for tomorrow's announcement? Yeah, thanks, Uh So yesterday's announcement uh, showed that Treasury's forecasted financing needs for the July to December period exceed our own by approximately $360 billion. However, that gap is partially explained by the fact that Treasury now sees its cash balance rising to $750 billion by year-end, while we came into this process expecting $100 billion less than that. So netting out differences in cash balance assumptions, Treasury projects $260 billion more financing needs than we had estimated for the last six months of the current calendar year. So overall, I would say that these numbers tell us that Treasury continues to expect a wider budget deficit in fiscal year 2023 than our own forecast, as well as CBOs, at roughly $1.5 trillion. However, these estimates do not really change our coupon issuance forecasts and actually support the case for coupon auction increases at the next four quarterly refundings. In the meantime, if Treasury's projections come to fruition, the TBL share of debt will likely peak modestly above 20% into the start of next year. But we do not think this is necessarily a problem from, from Treasury's perspective. After all, TBAC's work from the fall of 2021 indicates that Treasury is more comfortable having the TBL share rising above the top end of the optimal range than falling below the bottom end. And on top of that, with government and Treasury Money Market Fund AUMs up by roughly $500 billion year to date. This also suggests that there is latent demand for short duration risk-free assets. Great. Thanks, Mike. And thanks, Afonso. Institutional investors can read more about these topics on JP Morgan Markets or reaching out directly with questions. Stay tuned for more episodes of, at any rate, JP Morgan's Global Research Podcast Series. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read JP Morgan Research Reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2023, JP Morgan Chase & Co. All rights reserved. This episode was recorded on August 1st, 2023.